Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. It is good to see you. It's good to gather with you. And we're so thankful that you're giving this time to honor the Lord I want to start a new series this morning that we'll take throughout the summer months. We're going to look at Matthews chapter 15 through 18, and I've entitled the series Stories. Stories. This is a series focused on powerful stories. Stories hold a lot of power for our lives, don't they? I mean, our lives are a living story in so many ways. And they teach us about everything. Stories teach us about life. They teach us about ourselves. They teach us about God. They teach us about others. They teach us about the world. You know, it could be said that this Bible, the whole of it, is a story that God has written to us to reveal who He is for us and what He has done for us that we might know Him. When He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to the earth, and He came and walked on this earth, Jesus revealed who God was by becoming a master storyteller. Many of you are familiar with the fact that Jesus taught in parables. What's a parable? Well, a parable is a story that is made up. It's it's a fictitious story. It's not true. But it is taught to make a point. And so there's a point or a moral or a lesson to the story in the parable. And through that, it helps us understand what he was teaching. You know, there are three qualities about stories that will shape this series, but are also true of good stories. First of all, stories teach us lessons. They teach us morals or, or truths that we need to learn. And, and to be quite honest, sometimes the best way to learn the hardest lessons are through a story. I mean, just to get the facts, don't always speak to our heart to convince us of what you're saying, right? But a story can kind of relay information. And, and when it becomes a lesson that's more difficult for us to learn, stories can kind of present the information into us, or to us in a way that's easier for us to accept. It's easier for us to receive it and believe in it. And so that's why stories are so powerful for us. Stories also help us draw in to what's taking place and, and we begin to personalize it because that, that also helps us see where we find ourselves in the story. And, and they become more meaningful and more powerful, more impactful for our lives. But stories also help us expand our understanding. Stories help us expand our view of the world and, and what's taking place all around us and how it is that that involves our life. You know, when you think of a powerful lesson that you've learned, let me ask you to think for a moment. What is the story that taught you that lesson? What is the story that taught you that lesson? What people were there with you? What transpired to help you understand that? You know, like it uh, or not, um, so often those hard lessons come out of stories that, 
that aren't just told to you, but that are about you. Whether it happened to you or whether you felt like you were part of it. And so often, there are stories that we're part of. I've told this story before and I'll tell it again. When people ask me about forgiveness, my mind always goes to this story. I was about eight or nine years old and my brother and I had just had one of our daily bonding sessions. Also known as a fight. Here's how fights went when I was growing up. My brother would trigger me. That makes it his fault. And then just before the head explosion where I lost all control and anger, he would stop. So that anything that went beyond that became my fault. I knew what he was doing. And that made me even angrier. So we had had one of those moments and, and I was back in our bedroom and I was sitting on the bed. Man, I was fuming. I was fuming. And he walks into the room and he goes, hey man, uh, you just have to know my brother. He, like, like he's the nicest guy you'll ever meet, you know. And he walks into the room and he goes, Lane, I'm sorry. And I went, no, 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 no. No, we are not ending it yet this way. I am not finished being mad. So you just do not apologize yet. He said, will you forgive me? I said, we're not doing this yet. Right? That's how this story went. And then there was this moment of silence, and he said to me, you know, it takes a man to say I'm sorry, but it takes an even bigger man to say I'm sorry back. That made me so mad. I'm not done being mad. But I'm done being mad. Right. When I think of forgiveness, I don't know why, but that story has always been one that has returned to me to remind me of the power of forgiving. You know, the, the story that you're living in right now is, is very much one shaped by and shaping your life. And that becomes for us a testimony the story about our life that we share with others. And in this way, stories are so potent, they're so powerful for us because they, they capture what is most important. They capture the essence of life and the essence of relationship for us. And so what I want us to see that, that, that for Christians, every story should be set within the greatest story. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And that teaches us God's truth about everything. And so throughout these summer weeks, our hope and our prayer is that the stories that God has given to reveal Himself to us will be so powerful for your life that they will draw you in. You will learn new things about God, about life, about your family, maybe about your marriage, about other people. You may even come to the place, God willing, God enabling, where you forgive some people that you've not wanted to forgive or you've not yet forgiven. And see God do a powerful work in your life. That's our hope and our prayers, that you'll hear the good news, gain a clearer picture of God, how it is that your life in relationship with Him is to be lived by His power. 
And even more important, friends, how God wants to call you into His story of redeeming people in the name of Jesus Christ and use you as a faithful testimony and a witness to the people of this world. Let me begin by reading Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 20, and then we'll come back to the message. Then the Pharisees and the scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat. He answered them, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God commanded, Honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy to you when he said, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came and said to him, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain the parable to us. And he said, Are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. May God bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of His Word today. You know, today's story begins with one of the hardest truths for people to learn to accept. This can be so difficult to understand about our lives, but by our nature, we strive to earn what we feel we most want and need in our life. But only by God's grace can one be made righteous to satisfy the needs of our soul. This story, interestingly enough, opens up at a time when Jesus is in Galilee ministering. He's way up north of Jerusalem. 70 miles or more north of where these Pharisees and scribes from Jerusalem, it says, would have been located. This alone tells us their motive for following him, not because they liked him, but because they were bent on catching him. And their primary tactic was always the same. They would ask him a question about God's law, hoping and trying to catch him in his answer so they could disqualify him. And so what do they ask him? Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? 
That sounds like a really important question up front, doesn't it? Here we go. Here comes the important part of it. Why do they not wash their hands when they eat? Now, this is not a medical lesson. It's a spiritual lesson. But this was part of the law. And it's interesting, Jesus' response to them, he really didn't even acknowledge the question, but rather just acknowledged the idiocy of their question. And he exposed them in their falsehood when he said this, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? Ouch! Things just got really hot up in here, right? I mean, it went from zero to post-boiling point very quickly. He goes on to give an example of how they dismiss God's law of honoring one's father and mother. And then he goes ahead and moves to the conclusion without even caring about their response. And he said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. As a matter of fact, you are the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy that says you honor God with your lips, but your heart is far from him. Your worship of him is vain. All right. Just in case there was any qualifying question about whether they completely hated him now, that's now clear, right? And then Jesus turns to the crowd, to the people, and he says of the Pharisees and the scribes, these are people who would have held them in very high esteem, who would have thought, you know, something's different today with them being here. And he tells the people this, that the thing that defiles a person's life before God, what makes one unrighteous, is not determined by what they put into their mouth, but it is revealed by what comes out of their life. I'm reminded of God's words to Samuel in the choosing of King David. When it tells us in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, Jesus told the people that what mattered most to God was a heart filled with love for Him. Not a life consumed by trying to fulfill all the traditions of people. And so it causes me to pause and ask, can you feel the tension that Jesus has created with the Pharisees and the scribes here? You should. As a matter of fact, you should not only feel the tension, you could have probably smelled it had you been there on that day. Like a snake when threatened that emits an odor, to, to make its uh, attacker or its predator think that it's something rotten and you don't want to eat me, there is an odor that was emitted out of the threat that they sensed. And you go, well, who's emitting the odor? Well, that's what we learn when Peter comes to him. It's actually Jesus' disciples that are filled with the fear. <laughs> They're like, uh, hey, yo, man. You can hear them discussing this over together to themselves like, is he trying to get us killed or what? Actually, yes, that's the very thing he's going to end up doing. But not yet. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, uh, Lord, did you know they were offended by what you said? <laughs> Are you kidding me? Jesus didn't say this. This is free lane translation. 
Jesus didn't say this, but everybody was thinking it. Did he know they were offended? There isn't anybody here that didn't know they weren't offended. I mean, the tension couldn't be cut with a knife. It was so thick. And Jesus tells them, give them no bandwidth of thought or consideration. They are like rootless weeds that God will pluck up in the harvest and throw out. And if you follow them, you will end up in the same pit of destruction and condemnation that they will end up. He says their teaching is meaningless and they will not stand because they are rooted in man's tradition and not in the truth of God. You see, his words foreshadow the destructive end of both false teaching and their condemnation as false teachers. And Jesus even displays a, a disdain for the religious leaders who are misrepresenting God and misleading his people. Jesus' harshest words in all the New Testament are always aimed at people who are false teachers and misleading people. But Peter and the disciples, they're still a little confused. They're, they're wondering in their own life, is Jesus saying that the way people live doesn't matter? You think Jesus would, is he really saying that? that? That the way they live doesn't matter and so maybe something else is going to take precedence? And so they ask Jesus to explain the parable and Jesus says, do you still not understand? Of course, their following of Jesus is not in its infancy, but it's also not in its full maturity yet. They're still figuring this stuff out as well. And, and so they ask him, can you, can you help us understand that if they're going to kill us, or at least maim us severely, help us understand what that's going to happen from. And Jesus responds by explaining to them. And the question that Jesus poses to his disciples, do you still not understand, should serve as a warning for you and I today. That religion, that rituals, that traditions rooted in the teachings of people, of mankind, they hold a strong influence over us by our participation and it can even blind us to deception. Well, pastor, we've always done it this way. Things like that. This is just the way we do it. Why? Because that's the way we do it. It's our tradition. Jesus is not saying traditions are bad, but he is issuing a warning that they become condemning when we replace the teachings of God by those traditions. Because traditions and participation in them have a way of disconnecting our heart from them. You see, surely the way we live matters greatly to Jesus. And that's why he's teaching the truth. And Jesus states simply this, that what goes into the mouth only proceeds to the stomach and then it is expelled. The washing of hands can only impact what enters the stomach. But what comes out of the mouth comes from the heart. And that, friends, is what defiles 
a person. He's not speaking of biological systems here. He's speaking of our spiritual state and being. You see, friends, our problem before God is not dirty hands, but sin stain on our heart. And this is what sources from our life all that is unrighteous, all that is immoral, that is evil, that is defiled. Yes, friends, the way you live actually does matter greatly, but not in the way that religion tells you it matters. Our life and our living is a thermometer that measures to reveal, but it is not a prescription to fix anything with God. And the way you live can serve as a reinforcement that fortifies your sinful nature or that even reminds you of those disciplines that cultivate the gospel in you. But listen to me, no matter how sanitized your living may be, it will never cleanse sin's defilement in your heart. You see, Jesus' point is this, that cleaning up your living on your own, whether it's in good deeds, whether it's in thinking right or positive thoughts, whether it's even loving the right things, that doesn't change what is sourcing your sinful affections, what is sourcing your sinful attitudes, and what is sourcing your sinful activity. You see, friends, your problem before God is not external dirtiness, but spiritual defilement from sin. Therefore, your righteousness before God will never be determined by sanitized living in any realm or to any measure, but to only by the crucified Savior who washes you clean to give you a new heart. You see, friends, the lesson, or shall I say, the moral of Jesus' teaching today is simply this. Morality cannot save you. Morality will never save you. It's a false promise and a false premise. But here's what Jesus wants you to know and what I want you to walk away with today is that glorifying God flows from the heart that trusts in Jesus to honor Him with one's whole life. Glorifying God with your life. God looking at you and being okay with you. Your righteous standing before God is not something you perform to achieve. It's something you believe to receive. And until you trust in Christ and His work on the cross for you, no amount of sanitized activity will make any difference before God for you. But friends, the moment you believe in Jesus to receive what He's done for you will be the moment that everything changes first from the inside. And it is from that heart that trusts fully in Jesus that God wants your life to bring glory to Him by giving your whole life to Him. You see, this lesson doesn't seem that hard to learn. But as Peter's request reminds us, we must be certain that we understand every day. And so applying this lesson today in this parable includes first a strong warning and then 
an exhortation. Here's the strong warning for you today. Guard yourself from false righteousness that is rooted in either religion or self-righteousness. We should guard ourselves from practicing a false righteousness, a false okayness with God that's either rooted in religion and tradition or self and what we propose as righteousness. You see, we're practicing religion or tradition when we think that God is pleased with us because we do or say the right things. We perform to get God off our conscience or we do good to offset some bad that we feel we commit. And then in the same way, we we entertain self-righteousness when we dismiss God's law or we dismiss God's command by substituting it with our own ideas or our own plan. And sometimes we do this because we don't like God's command Sometimes we do it because we think we simply know better or have a better way. But friends, both of those are the same self-righteousness. You see, religion and tradition is absent of love for God. Self-righteousness is absent of the fear of God. And the Bible tells us the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And love for God is the single command that He's issued to us for Him. There's one other aspect of this warning that we should be aware of, and it's this. We should remove any influence that teaches or reinforces a wrong way of thinking about God. We should remove that influence. So if there is a practice that we are in the midst of doing that we believe God loves us more because we do this, we need to do one of two things. Either stop doing it because it's deceiving us by participation, Or every time we come to it, remind ourselves, God doesn't love me because I do this, but through this, He wants to show me how much He loves me. Daily Bible reading. God doesn't love you because you open your Bible more than any other, or even of every day on the calendar. But friends, you will not know God's love for you until you break the bread of life with Him. That's the warning that we must be about. Any influence that leads you to think opposed to or less of God's law or commands or that causes you to question them is a false teaching to be immediately rejected. There's probably a lot of podcasts that could be in the trash because of the people, because of the flippancy, because of the oversimplification that it makes of so many issues in life. Guard yourself. The amount of information that is being taken in is impossible for any single individual to assimilate effectively into their life. Know your source. Be careful that what you're taking in is from the Lord. You see, we may not always say or think that we're being religious or, hey, this is what I do and I want to be self-righteous. But in our heart, we feel it this way and that's the root of the problem. If we're honest with ourselves, we, we would admit that our relationship with God is driven more by how we feel about Him or how we think He feels about us and whether 
That feeling improves or worsens in response to our right or wrong action, thinking, or otherwise. And friends, when you're driven by your emotions and your feelings like that, that's not a biblical expression of knowing God. This means that our relationship with Jesus is determined more by our feelings or our, even our thinking or our behaving. Some of the most godless people know so much about what's in this book. And yet it's not in them. Our relationship with Jesus is based solely on what He has done for us. And everything that we have in our relationship comes back to this. You see, anything as the basis of your relationship with God other than Jesus' sacrificial atonement on the cross reveals a faith in some righteousness other than Him. You say, well, pastor, how do I know? Well, here's how you know. The more time you spend doing those things that you believe are benefiting your relationship with God, are they producing more gratitude for God in you? Are they producing more peace from God in you? Is there more love that you not just feel from God and sense from God, but because of the love you've received from God that you are extending to other people? These are the things that matter, friends. These are the things that determine where our hope is genuinely anchored. And that is the strong warning for you and I today to guard ourselves from false righteousness that is rooted in religion or self-righteousness because we will end up in the same pit that that teaching is destined for. The exhortation that I offer to you today is simply this. That people who truly know God trust in Jesus through the gospel for a clean heart as the source for all of life. We trust in Jesus through the gospel. He is the only one who cleanses our heart. And where those indicators of evilness, where those indicators that are tempting us to walk away, that are tempting us to participate in the things that we know are not from God, that do not agree with God, where we find those in our life before we address them in our own strength, first and foremost, we bow and we thank God for Jesus Christ who gave us a way to kill those influences in us. And who ultimately has already paid the price so that they don't have authority over us. That's where we begin, friends. You see, honoring God starts in the heart, not with your lips. And everyone can say right things sometimes, and some people can even do the right things at the right times. I know there's others that have really a lot of trouble with that. There are people that have trouble with saying the right things at the right times. There's some people who excel at saying the wrong things at every time. But friends, saying the right things and doing the right things, they don't really make a difference for who you really are. But the more we trust in Jesus, the more His presence fills our soul, the more the fullness of His work cleanses our heart, the more the truth of His Word commands our mind, the more the reality of His love compels our living. And listen, the more the commission of His kingdom rules the purpose of our life. You see, religion and self-righteousness will never produce any of these. 
But the gospel will always. Christians live to honor God for this reason, because He and He alone is our righteousness. And a heart full of His righteousness motivates a steadfastness in our obedience to Him. Where there is no heart change, there can be no life change. And where there is no heart change, no life practice will ever matter. Glorify God flows from the heart that trusts in Jesus to honor Him with one's whole life. And so remember how I began today saying this, one of the hardest truths for people to learn and accept would be this, that we not try to earn or achieve our own righteousness, but rather we believe to receive it from Jesus. You see, friends, by our nature, the Bible teaches that we are rebellious against God, that we're actually enemies of God in our sin. We're striving to earn what we feel we most need or want in life. But only by God's grace can we be made righteous to satisfy the needs of our soul. You see, the more Jesus' righteousness consumes your heart, the more your whole life will be focused on honoring Him. And so I conclude in this way this morning. Is your whole life bent on glorifying God in everything you say, everything you do? I'm not asking you if you've lived perfect life. I'm asking you if you're trusting Christ in your life with Him. Or are you still trying to wash your hands to cleanse what has stained your heart? Let me pray for you.